Have any of you heard of Brennan Francis Xavier Manning? Okay, Bob has. Uh, he wrote a book called The Ragamuffin Gospel, um, which if you have not read that, I, I highly recommend it uh, as a treatise on grace to understand God's radical forgiveness. Brennan Francis Xavier Manning was a priest who was laicized. That's a word I learned uh, this week as I was studying him. It means that he was removed from the priesthood. Um, he, was a, he was an addict. He was a renegade, an author, a husband, which is a word you don't often hear with Catholic priests, but he was, uh, and uh, a thinker and a speaker. And he was a man who was deeply broken. He really wrestled with his brokenness. And that experience drove him to a deep dependence on Jesus. To look at Manning from the outside, we might wonder about his faith. Could a person so broken by alcoholism and fear and doubt truly be a believer? He didn't look the way a a child of God should look. Or at least he didn't fit the narrative of brokenness that we like to hear. You, You know the stories where, you know, I was broken and now I'm healed. I was addicted and now I live in victory. I remember receiving an, an email one time from his, uh, his ministry asking for prayers for Brennan because he'd wandered off and he was on the streets again, an old drunk living like a homeless person. People have taken issues with Manning's belief. They felt that, that he was giving people permission to sin. He wasn't. You see, we want to we want to perceive a distinction, some difference in a person's life, like like a litmus test or or some kind of proof that the person believes or not, that they're they're part of the kingdom or they're not, that they deserve forgiveness or they don't. Brennan Manning, at various points in his life, looked like a lush who would rather worship a nice Merlot than worship the God who created grapes or the Christ who took wine and said, take and drink, this is my blood shed for you. There was no distinction. Not that we could see. There was no difference. Not that we could observe with our eyes. Ironically, in one of his better moments, Manning once said, the greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, walk out the door, and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world simply finds unbelievable. See, even Manning wanted to see a distinction He wanted to see a difference in those people who say they follow Jesus. How his heart must have just broken at his own failure to live up to that standard, to live up to the God who loved him. Can you sympathize? For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Right? 
It says that somewhere. Right? Yeah. Here, we, 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 we sing God's praises and we lift prayers and then we go out into the world. And I would guess that our lives don't look much different than our neighbors. And they don't seem all that distinct. We still struggle in this world with this issue of obedience and seeking to follow, to be like Jesus. And when we look out at the world and the struggles that we face, don't we wonder how it is that the arrogant, the insolent, the presumptuous seem to get ahead? They're happy, they're blessed. Evildoers prosper, and it seems like they always get away with their wickedness. And no wonder in Malachi's day, they felt it was pointless to serve God. It was useless to live lives of repentance. They were still exploited. They were still broken. They were still unable to live the life. They still got cancer. They still died. They suffered when they tried to follow God's will. They still fell short. It all felt so Hopeless. We might want to be distinctly different, or at least at least a little better than the next guy. There's part of us that wants to compare, to weigh, to measure, to find that our lives, our faith, our piety is better, and that we indeed are holier than thou. The world has sensed that judgment that too often lives in our hearts. And it's this this weighing and this measuring, these litmus tests and proofs that leave us with the impression that we can tell, we can judge, we can know. After all, Jesus says, by their fruits, you will know them. But what if we've been looking for the wrong fruit? Don't get me wrong. Sobriety, morality, upright living, these are good things. Indeed, they are godly things. But maybe, maybe they don't measure up the things that God really is looking for. Maybe, maybe he's looking for the fear of the Lord. Or maybe the fear of the Lord is needed before those other things can be truly good in God's eyes. Throughout the scriptures, the phrase, the fear of the Lord, means faith. So in Malachi, it says that those who feared the Lord spoke with one another, and the Lord paid attention, and he heard them. He heard his people who believed him, who trusted his promises. And it says that a book of remembrance was written What's this book? What was this message of remembrance? Well, it wasn't a, a book as, as we think of books. You know, you open like your hymnal or, or, or those weren't invented until the 1500s. It was a remembrance. It was a, a meditation. It was a missive on God's salvation. It recalled the things that God had done in the past. 
And it led to a statement of faith that he will save his people in the present. Something, something like Psalm 46, the psalm that's appointed for today. It, it says this, God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear, though the earth gives way, though the mountains be moved into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble at its swelling. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of her. She shall not be moved. God will help her when morning dawns. The nations rage. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Come, behold the works of the Lord, how he has brought desolations upon the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the chariots with fire. Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. The Lord of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Those of you who went to the youth gathering, that sound vaguely familiar? Have that be your book. We're, we're not the first people to walk down this path of faith. What a blessing it is to have these, these testimonies from those who walked before us. Or, or, or how about this? Our gospel lesson. Hearing Jesus' own words from Luke 23. Especially verse 34. Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. Remember, Jesus intercedes for sinners. He intercedes for those who crucify him. This, This is his relationship with us. Or verse 43, to the thief. Truly, I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. Salvation is even for the condemned when they believe. When we believe. As the last day comes, and it's the last Sunday of the church year, and the last day is is really the focus of, of what this day is about. As the last day comes, the earth will give way. The mountains will move. The waters roar and foam. I know this. Do you know why? Because the earth has been giving away and the mountains have been moving and the waters have been roaring and foaming ever since Jesus ascended into heaven and they will continue to do that until he comes back and he sets things right. This is just the way of the world. The wicked will prosper. The arrogant will be called blessed. And in the midst of that tribulation, we will be distinctly different because we are distinctly God's, as in the possessive belonging to God. It won't be because of our actions, but because of our hope. A hope that's not rooted in ourselves and our performance or our pretense of perfection, but a hope that is rooted in Christ crucified. A hope that's rooted in God who saves. 
Because in the end, we will all fear something. We might fear the culture, the climate, the government, our neighbors. We might fear lack or ruin or reputation or suffering. Or we can fear the Lord who made us, who loves us, who saved us, who gave his only begotten son so that we could be saved and redeemed. That's a different fear, a distinctly different fear, a distinctly different faith with a distinctly different outcome. To fear the world will leave us in dread and anxiety and a strong sense of doom. To fear the Lord will leave us with everlasting life Mercy, hope, resurrection, and salvation. Brendan Manning was a mess, but he was a forgiven mess. His forgiveness was rooted in Jesus, and there was no doubt, no confusion in Manning's mind about that. He did not deserve this forgiveness, but Jesus died to forgive sinners. And this was Manning's faith and hope and mine. And it's yours. When Jesus returns in the resurrection, we will be distinctly different than we are now. There will be no double-minded tension between sin and holiness. There, there will be no angst, no fear, no dread, no doubt. There will be no tension between fear and faith. We will be holy, sinless, peaceful, joyful. In the meantime, we struggle. We strive for holiness. We wrestle with our sin. And it's hard sometimes. We get worn down. We feel our brokenness. So we who fear the Lord gather to remember. Even as our world shakes and roars and foams, we remember, remember Christ died for you. He will not forsake you. He continues to feed you his own body and blood to sustain your faith, to strengthen you, to make you alive. And in the end, in the end, you will see what distinctly different really looks like. Amen.